Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. I'm Niall Brown. I've known Douglas Schultz since 2009 when I reviewed his film Dark Fields, or The Rain as it was then called. We kept in touch over the years, and I followed his career through the Mimesis films, as well as his experimental thriller The Dark Below. Now these films show a director who wants to push the boundaries of low-budget filmmaking with interesting and creative concepts. And he's someone that I've always wanted to have on the podcast. And now Douglas has brought his new horror film, Thorns, to Frightfest. A 1980s-inspired genre film, Thorns has hints of Alien, The Thing and Hellraiser. A throwback piece, it's filled with practical effects and plenty of eye-watering moments of gore. Now finally, Douglas Schultz joins the Movies in Focus podcast to talk about Thorns, his career as a low-budget director, and the highs and lows of independent filmmaking. I really think this is a great episode, and it's someone who I've known for a long, long time and never had the chance to talk to. And, as always, I really hope you enjoy what we have to discuss. Hey, good uh, good to finally uh, uh, put a, a voice and a face to you. Yes, I've uh, I was digging through some old emails and the first time we were in touch was 2009, so it's been 14 years since we've been sort of communicating over the internet and whatnot. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah, I was, you know, I was going, man, it's been some years, you know, and I didn't quite know how many, but uh, that's amazing, you know, the power of the internet, right? It is and and here we are again. You've got another film out, which is amazing. I mean, Every time you've made a film that I've watched, it's going back to Dark Rain or The Fields, as I think it um, it became. Uh, they're all so different. Uh, you know, they're all within the horror genre. But what you managed to do is sort of take them all in a different sort of a, a different way. Sort of how do you do it? Why do you do it? And sort of what are the challenges in doing it? Yeah, sure. Um well, as far as uh, why, um, that's a that's a complex question, you know, with um, with, you know, as you know, independent filmmaking is rather arduous and uh, it's a constant uphill battle and it doesn't get any easier. Right. You know, um, with, uh, you know, like the the death of disc and uh, things going to streaming and we're trying to figure out how to how to make money through streaming platforms. Um you know, it, it's a challenge uh, to keep making independent films, but um, you know, it's what I it's what I know, and I just love to. I love the creative process. Um, you know, I'm sure you can relate to that. And uh, you know, from coming up with the story and then assembling a crew, um, I think I'm hardwired to uh, to make movies. Um, you know, um, I in. And I, I'm I'm looking for that uh, uh, that home run, right? I want to make one brilliant uh, movie in my time. That's what I'm working towards. So, uh, yeah. And this one, I mean, I really enjoyed it because it obviously there's there's a Hellraiser influence in it, but it also run, reminded me a lot of Prince of Darkness, the nice. the John Carpenter film. When you're going in to make a film, and obviously when you're you're making a, a genre piece, you, you, you've probably got one eye on how's it going to be marketed further down the road. Is, is that something you, you draw on inspiration so people can kind of go, oh, it's a bit like such and such a film? Or is that just your love of the genre sort of seeping out? 
Yeah, yeah, you know, I've done one other film, uh, well, two other films, you know, the Mimesis uh, uh, films were a direct homage. Um, you know, that first film, Mimesis, um, was a uh, was an homage to George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, and it was about extreme role players, right, or extreme movie lovers that take their love of film um, to this completely different level. Um, this film, you know, I'd, um, you know, I'd thought a bit about it and, um, you know, uh, one of the favorite times from my childhood uh, was in the, uh, the eighties, um, uh, you know, growing up watching, going to the theater and watching specifically monster movies. And I began to list those and, you know, like the thing um, John Carpenter's The Thing and Prince of Darkness, and then of course Clive Barker's Hellraiser, um, those in Alien. Um, those were all monster movies. And so I, you know, in this CGI era, I thought it would be a really wonderful homage to to make a uh, a monster movie with a retro vibe, you know, a contemporary monster movie with a distinct retro vibe that that hearken to um, films uh, like Hellraiser and Prince of Darkness. So that was the uh, the impetus for uh, for Thorns, uh, for sure. Yeah. And once you've you've come up with your your concept, um, you're obviously like you said an independent an independent filmmaker. So you go off presumably you write knowing your potential budget limitations, mm. but how do you make sure that you you develop a film that has a unique look and then going about raising the money for it? Tell, tell us the struggles of being a an indie filmmaker. Sure. Yeah, well, the struggles are are many and uh you know, again, they they get a bit more challenging um as as time passes, um as the industry changes, but um you do have to write, you know, after all these decades making independent films, I've learned to write with a budget in mind, um, you know, sort of coming at it from the Roger Corman era. You know, I say that because Roger Corman grew up where I, in the area where I live, I live in Royal Oak, Michigan, and Roger Corman is a, a native of Royal Oak, Michigan. And uh, as everyone knows, he's he's sort of the king of uh, B movies from uh, you know back in the seventies and in eighties. And um, you know, I, you know, I I took a cue from from that, and I do write with budget in mind. Um, and but I always try and save. I always know that I need certain elements. Um, you know, it's important to have resource for art direction. Um, it's important to have resource for for casting. Um, so there are minimum benchmarks that, um, you know, I won't go below um, in order to make a film. But beyond that, these are considered um, almost micro budget um, films. Right. You know, um, um, I'm working below the million dollar budget, um, you know, with these films. So, yeah. And. I mean, this is playing at Fright Fest and obviously genre festivals are an important part when you are making low budget films. 
I mean, that must be even just entering into a festival or a series of festivals must be a tremendous amount of hard work and sort of admin. Talk me through that process in order to make sure that, you know, you get that exposure. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, um, it's never easy, um, again. Uh, and, you know, we're we're all artists, we're, you know, and filmmakers, regardless of budget, after your movie is made, there is a, a moment in time where you are sort of equal, right? Uh, you know, because budget has no bearing on how, you know, how your film will be accepted by an audience. So there is that that wonderful and mysterious allure um, that even though you may make a film for $100,000, um, you know, it may be better received than the film that was made for $100 million, right? So, so when it comes to the festival circuit, um, I think there's an honesty um, that exists there where festival programmers don't look at budget um, I will admit, you know, uh, festivals just like the industry can be very political. Uh, but um, if you if you have a good film, it tends to, you know, rise above the din. And um, uh, you know, we were very fortunate. Um, there were actually three or four other festivals that invited us to screen prior to uh, London uh, Fright Fest, but. London Fright Fest has been on my bucket list for a while, and I know that they uh, they give wonderful exposure to their films and filmmakers. Um, so we wanted to launch and world premiere um, in London. So we we said thanks, but no thanks to several, and um, here we are um, ready to world premiere at London. So and not only that, you've got a prime spot, and it's a it's an eight o'clock. Uh eight o'clock screening as well. What's, yeah. what's that feel like? Sort of pride of place? Yeah, well, it feels really good. And of course, you're nervous, right? You know, because, um, you know, I think all filmmakers, um, uh, you know, you never, uh, no matter how, how many people tell you, you know, you have a good film or this or that, you're, you never know how your movie is going to play for an audience. So, you, you go into it and, um, you know, I'm always a bundle of nerves um, during a screening because I, I'm never quite sure how, you know, how the audience will react. And it's a wonderful experience when it, uh, you know, when, <laughs> when it turns out well, right? So, well, that's it. I mean, and it must be good knowing going in that you've got a good movie. I mean, what do, do you feel sort of buoyed by that and sort of confident with the yeah, you know, but, you know, we live in a really weird time where social media allows, um, you know, uh, people to um, tear, you know, tear things down real easily, right? Um, you know, um, so you have to keep reminding yourself, you look to your peers, you look to journalists like yourself and um, other filmmakers and you don't necessarily listen to, you know, you've got to learn to um, sort of, uh, you know, filter out, um, you know, uh, some of the criticism that comes. So no matter how good uh, a group will like something, there's always going to be people out there that, you know, uh, don't like what you do. So, um, you know, I think we're out to try and please everyone. Um, but you're never going to do that, right? So, you know. 
that's it. But I mean, with Fright Fest, horror and genre film festivals, the audience is always, you know, you've got that sort of captive audience and they love seeing, sitting in a communal space, watching a big scary movie on screen. Yeah. And that that, that that must be uh, exciting to know that you've, you've got that ahead of you. <laughs> Oh, sure. Yeah, that and just, you know, we, you know, we've never traveled to, uh, you know, I've never been to London either. And um, so it's a real exciting time to be able to go to um, a, a, a wonderful, prestigious festival like this and experience your movie with an audience, you know. So all those things uh, make for just a, a you know, a, a rare and um, a much appreciated opportunity. And I mean, you're obviously now on the promo trail, sort of hyping this movie. How long is the whole process? So when did you come up with the the concept for Thorns? And then how long does production take, post-production? Talk me through that as an, as an independent filmmaker. Sure. You know, what was funny with this film was we actually, our, our, our window for filming was probably one of the most uh, uh, efficient and uh well and and quick quickly produced films that i've made in like the last you know three or four films um you know the story came together relatively quickly it was a uh probably from concept to uh locked draft that was probably 12 months so that was probably a year um and then uh, pre-production was, you know, another six months. And then fil the filming window uh, was another six months. Um, so there's two years right there. And then you enter post-production. And, um, you know, we, uh, we had to take the film to Los Angeles to do, a, um, to do the audio mix and uh, so forth. So, so you've got two, two and a half years invested. And the, the irony was our film was done, but we had to wait for this autumn season where the genre festivals kicked in. So we were, we were sitting around for a few months and it was frustrating uh, because our film was done and we were uh, waiting to, um, you know, to launch and we had to wait for the right festivals. So it was a hurry up and wait uh, type of situation for us. But um, that's a three-year commitment. And uh, when it comes to the festival circuit, you can be, you, you can play a festival, you know, uh, circuit for 12 months, um, could be realistic. And for us, we, we were targeting uh, uh, wrapping things up domestically, maybe around December, um, so our window for playing festivals is sort of August uh, through December, and then we'll uh, look for distribution at that point. And that's probably a story for another time. I can only imagine finding distributions uh, even harder than the, the sort of running the, the gamut of festivals. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, yeah, again, that's ever changing because the distributor who may have put out your last film may not even be around, you know, two years down the road. So the contacts you might might have made over the years, you know, continually are are in, um, you know, sort of constant change and shift. And, um, you know, uh, you would think over time, it becomes easier, perhaps to to get a film distributed, but um, it's always changing. And again, with streaming platforms, you um, 
you know, it's a, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's always a challenge. So that's why you play the festivals though. So that's it. I mean, going back, as we said at the start, we've, we've known each other since 2009 and the, the, the first film you sent to me, what you fed X'd it by DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, and that, that seems like a lifetime ago. And even the thought of somebody doing that now is just sort of mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And I remember, I think it went to the wrong, you were, there, there was an address and I think it might've been delivered to, to someone, you know, uh, next door or something. And, uh, you know, you, the person politely got it to you or something, you know, but yeah, I re just remember there being some sort of rigmarole with it. But yeah. uh, I mean, these, yep. these days, you know, you, you talk to filmmakers and you, you get a link sent or whatever it is. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a different world. And, uh, some of it's great, some of it's not so great. So that's, that's yeah. The thing. Well, gosh, remember, you know, um, I mean, way, way back when I did my first film, you know, we shot it on 35 millimeter film and we were editing it on a, a machine called the Steenbeck, uh, a flatbed editor. And, you know, you had rolls of film and you spliced images and you used tape to edit your film together and, you know, that just seems so arcane and dated right now, you know, right? And it is. Yeah. So. Is, that, is that Hellmaster you're, you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The very first uh, film. And, you know, as crazy as it is, it's certainly not my strongest work as a, as a director by far. But that film has not gone away. And it's been it's been in like almost five or six cycles of redistribution and re-release. And uh, we uh, we had a recently, well, within the last year and a half, we had a, a 4K, um, a company called Vinegar Syndrome uh, yeah. bought up the uh, the negative and did a uh, 4K transfer and re-released double disc uh, with a, a collector's sleeve. And it was just a wonderful, you know, way to preserve that film uh, from so long ago. So that was kind of nice to see. And it's a great, I think visually, it's a fantastic film. I think you've got some kind of great colors in it and sort of mm -hmm. cinematic flourishes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a strong, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with the cinematographer, Michael Goy, um, who's an ASC uh, member. And he was also the president of the American Society of Cinematographers. And you know, it was one of Mike's first films, and uh, we learned so much uh, working with him. And uh, you know, uh, it was it was grad film school for us, really. Uh, but um, at the time, I was more interested in art direction and production design. You know, and I was still learning you know, all about directing. And so you would find me on sets you know, and I'm playing set dresser and they're saying, no, you've <laughs> got to come back and direct the scene. And, and uh, you know, so uh, that was a long time ago and I've learned uh, quite a bit since. So, But one of the things that's uh, that has been a through line through all your films, you've always been lucky enough to get a one or two or several sometimes horror icons to star in your films. So I mean, Thorns has Doug Bradley from the Hellraiser movies. How do you go about getting these stars and what's the process? Is it, talk me through that. Sure. Well, with Doug, I knew, I knew Doug's manager. 
So, um, uh, you know, uh, the manager made the introduction. I had worked with Doug's manager on another film. So this is where, you know, um, uh, knowing individuals helps and, you know, perhaps over time, it's the one uh, uh, one area where I've managed to excel and um, um, it's not easy, but it's it's not difficult to reach out to managers I know who handle uh, many of these horror icons. And so uh, uh, Doug's manager made the introduction and that, um, as Doug would tell you, uh, Doug Bradley uh, would tell you, helped, um, you know, confirm that if he was going to fly out to Michigan, the Detroit area to make a movie, you know, that we were reputable people. So that sort of is the first, you know, barrier you need to cross, right, is just the actors needing to be comfortable with you. Um, and then, of course, there's economics. And I make a point of making certain that in our budgets, we are able to procure the services of, um, you know, uh, of a, an experienced uh, actor with credentials. And then, of course, they have to like the script. And Doug was really uh, enamored by the homage and, um, you know, what he saw as a kind of love letter to uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser. Um, you know, we're, we're not trying to rob or rip off um, uh, any of the classics. Um, this is again more of a, an homage than anything else. So, and that's it. I mean, and he's got a very without. I, I won't go into kind of spoiler areas, but he's got a very interesting character, and the film sort of plays out in a really surprising way. And when you're sort of taking a big swing like that, sort of in the last act, what's that like? as a writer and then do you once you're got your director's hat on do you kind of look at it and go is this going maybe a touch too far well how, do, how does that work yeah it, well it's a great uh great question uh because it is uh you're there is some apprehension there um when you write it uh you know and you know you're referring to kind of a uh a third act twist right you know yeah. it's sort of the um uh you know, it's the equivalent of the moment in Planet of the Apes, right? When, you know, Heston, you know, finds um, uh, the Statue of Liberty or Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, you know? So there's some, there's a twist coming in our story. And and I've always respected and loved, you know, films that do that. And so, um, so as a writer, that was well-planned ahead of time. But when you get on set and you know you're racing the clock, um, you begin to question whether, you know, um, uh, you know, that might have to be um, edited down or compromised or um, whatnot. And you, you can kind of second guess yourself sometimes wondering, is this going to play well? Could I could the film work without it, maybe, you know, and. Um, the answer I kept saying to myself is no, you need to deliver this and stick with it and have a strong attention to detail, I think. And so, um, you know, um, I think it plays well. I really, um, it's my favorite thing about the film, I think, you know, and so I'm glad you uh, brought some attention to it. So, 
Yeah. yeah. No, I, I thought it was a, a great ending because I, I sort of imagined I knew where it was going. You know, see, I've seen enough horror movies that kind of usually predict, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on. And then it sort of went, oh, and I was like, yes, that's, that, that actually works quite well. And I, I thought it sort of, it, it, it finished things off sort of nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I can give you that. Uh, again, when you're working with within limited uh, confines and limited resources, um, sometimes it's, it's things like story twists that can, um, you know, achieve in areas where you may not in, you know, where um, audiences might be expecting, um, you know, a bigger budgeted finale. Um, I think you can still deliver just as much impact from a well-told story, right? Well, that's it. And I mean, even horror movies, I think you sort of touched on it earlier as well. I think the lower the budget for a horror film, the better the horror film. I think I've never I've never seen a hundred million dollar horror film and went, you know what, that's great because it just it becomes too much of a, a big production. Whereas when, when you've got a lower budget, when it's kind of gnarly, I, I think that works so much better. Yeah, that's a great observation. And you know, it can go back to the some of the early classics like Romero's. Night of the Living Dead, you know, the original was such a template for that because here it was this black and white film. And I still recall as a child, you know, it was one of the most influential um, films, you know, that I can look back on as a as a kid. And um, I remember specifically at the time acknowledging and knowing that it was a lower budgeted film. You know, you couldn't get around that. But it made it all the more, you know, terrifying in its own unique way because it, um, you know, um, it it came with a, a sense of, you know, unpredictableness uh, and where would this, indie, you know, indie filmmaker take you, right? Um, there were no boundaries. And that's where I think um, lower budgeted horror films are so widely successful uh, with audiences is because um, they push boundaries, right? Well, that's it, you know, and in fact, just going back to Night of the Living Dead, which was the inspiration for Mimesis, and then you had Mimesis Nosferatu, surely there's got to be a, a third part of the trilogy for that one? <laughs> Probably much further down the road. Uh, you know, I uh, I really love and you know um, the 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 concept of the mimesis idea, which is um, you know those that so love and are passionate about horror films, uh, they take their passion to an extreme level, and I think it's a wonderful concept that could be explored much further. And I have ideas. Um, actually, some of them have already been put to paper, but um, but there's you know, there's only so much time. um, And, you know, I'm not one to, even though it's, it's become a bit easier uh, to access technology and make films for lower budgets. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, filmmakers will, will want to, you know, crank movies out quicker. Um, I tend to have a process I go through and, um, I don't like rushing my productions. And so, you know, um, it'll be another couple of years before I, I surface again with something, you know, uh, uh, new. And at this point, I don't know that I want it to be another mimesis film right now. So um, I have a few other things I'd like to, um, uh, you know, move to. 
one of my favorite films of yours, which I think is incredibly well handled, shot incredibly well, and kind of pushes the boundaries of story and character is The Dark Below. And, you know, that you you shot that out sort of in the, the freezing cold. You shot it underwater. There's very little dialogue. Talk me through that and that process, because, I mean, I, I think that's a stunning film of yours. Yeah, well, thank you. And um, you're not alone. Um, you know, uh, there are um, several individuals who've, um, you know, there's a, um, uh, in Stockholm, uh, uh, there's a, a genre festival called Monsters, a film and it's a popular festival and they uh to this day um cite the dark below as one of their favorite entries um they refer to it as um 86 minutes of pure suspense uh because again there were only three spoken words of dialogue in the entire film so it's a silent feature film um and it played well there and it played at fantasia in Montreal, and then um, at an avant-garde festival in Paris. Um, so uh, we actually, we ended up having a very uh, um, unsuccessful uh, uh, relationship with our distributor. And so we've since pulled the movie. So it never really, although it played well in festivals and everyone continues to ask about it, um, it's never give, been given its just in uh, distribution. So next on our list is we are going to revisit the film and um, we're looking to do a 4K um, restoration and more of a director's cut. Um, and we may actually even try and bring it back to a few festivals. Um, but um, it is my favorite uh, film as well. And um, it was it was such a challenge to make. Um, you know, because we were out in, you know, we were shooting um, outdoors in Michigan in the dead of winter um, at night, and uh, it was like 20 below, you know, at times. And so whatever you see on screen, when they're, you know, uh, you know, shivering, and they look like they're moments from freezing, they are, right, you know, so... <laughs> And logistically, that must be very tough as a low budget filmmaker to sort of to to ensure that your 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 cast and your crew that they're warm, that they're safe. I mean that 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 you know that must play on a budget as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's funny. Like I almost today look back on that film and go, "We made that." You know, would I go back there voluntarily and do that again? I don't know. You know. Um, but, uh, you know, we, uh, it, it's all who you, al who you align yourself with. And we made certain to have, um, we had these heated tents, um, you know, uh, we had these propane heaters and tents and we would bring them out. And so just out, out shy of the camera frame uh, to the left and right, there were these warming tents. So, um, but yet we all had to pack up and get on these little snowmobiles to be taken back to, um, you know, the main base camp. So although it's a low budget film and my other films are low budget in nature, they're really not treated that way. You know, we still logistically, um, you know, the, the, the logistics behind the dark below, I would say rival 
um, many much, you know, much larger budgeted films and uh, with what we were able to pull off. So, um, yeah, it's still, uh, I'm proud of that accomplishment, you know. Yeah, and I'm actually now excited to see what you're going to do with it next once uh, once you're, you're, you're done with um, all this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely um yeah, we want to do something big when we uh when we revisit it and um um again, you know, uh, perhaps a few festival screenings and then trying to find the right distributor for it and so forth. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I've still got a, a DVD copy um that that, that I, I bought when it came out. In fact, they quoted me on the cover. <laughs> and uh, yes. I, I never I, I never got a press copy. I had to actually go out and buy my own. So uh <laughs> I, I, I so well, I, that yeah, that's a testament to the relationship we, you know, and and I could go into a whole other uh we had a similar experience with the distributors. So we just it was not a very pleasant experience. So we, you know, we pulled it off streaming platforms and we're going to revisit it and um, we'll reuse your quote and we'll make certain to send you, uh, you know, a copy this time around. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to the, the, the 4K version. Yeah, um, sure. But no, no, I, I think it's a great film. Um, sort of as we draw to a close here, um, so what do you hope audiences get from Thorns as, as its as its writer director? Um, uh, you know, uh, a contemporary um, movie going experience um, that distinctly, um, you know, harkens to a bygone era, um, you know, in cinema where physical effects ruled and uh, strong makeup effects uh, reign supreme and monsters you know, uh, were um, all the rage on screen. And I think if, um, you know, uh, people can experience it as a uh, bit of a retro profile, but still um, uh, find it very contemporary and, and entertaining, um, will have succeeded in, uh, you know, our, our job, so to speak. Well, I think that's a, a perfect way to end it there, Doug. So can I just say thank you for, for taking the time today? Thank you so much, Niall, you know, for continually over the years being a, a, a supporter of independent film and uh, giving attention to our work. It's, um, you know, endless thanks for uh, for that, for sure. No, no. Well, thank you. I mean, I I, I really am sort of I'm not just sort of blowing smoke here. I, I'm always interested to see what you do next, because mm -hmm. everything you've done, even though it's within a genre, is always very different from what's come before. Thank you. Yeah. And we continue to, you know, aspire to improve, you know, with each uh, new outing. And, um, you know, I'd like to think my next film will be my best film, you know, but I'm very happy with uh, Thorns and we'll, uh, you know, um, uh, we're going to have an exciting time at uh, Fright Fest and the other festivals to come for sure. Well, I hope the premiere is a huge success, which I'm sure it will be. I'm gutted I can't be there. <laughs> yeah, we would have really loved yeah. that would have been ideal. But, but um, do you know what? It's been great to sort of do this and catch up and sort of actually sort of talk face to face. And so that that's, that's it's been worthwhile just for that. Yeah, for sure. And again, I feel likewise. And um, we'll look forward to... Uh, you know, down the road, uh, perhaps our paths will cross in person, you know. Oh, definitely. And 
sometime sort of in a once the dust has settled, hopefully get you back on the podcast and maybe talk about some of your favorite horror films or filmmakers, yeah. things like that. Love to. Uh, anytime. Thank you so much for, um, you know, uh, for reaching out and uh, supporting Thorns. No, well, thank you. And I'll, I'll let you go about your day now. So thank you, Doug. All right. Take care, Niall. And we'll talk real soon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies and Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time. And I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>